If you'll turn in your Bibles to Exodus, the 14th chapter. Exodus, the 14th chapter. And it never ceases to amaze me how Brother Luke and I don't coordinate or talk about, I don't think ever, about what he's going to preach and what I'm going to preach. But it certainly goes hand in hand. The title of the message this morning is A Path in the Sea. A Path in the Sea. And we'll begin reading in Exodus, the 14th chapter. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pi-Haroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, and the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with an high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pi-Haroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness." And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. That's quite a bit of reading, but I want to say, lay the context here before you of a path in the sea. Psalms 107 and verse 7 says that he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. That's a reference to the journey in the wilderness. It says he led them forth by the right way. But what we have under consideration is the miracle of God, the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. Did you know that in the humanist manifesto and humanism, which is directly opposed to Christian religion, humanism, which has taken over, and whether people would even verbalize it or not, humanism has taken over the world, especially our culture. One of the tenets or one of the teachings of humanism is there are no miracles. So you understand how important it is to believe in the miraculous power of God that can not only part a Red Sea, but can still... Do miracles in your life even from day to day. They might be small miracles. They might be large miracles. But the point is, humanism says he has no power. He does not exist, and he, there is no power like that. But here we find one of the greatest miracles, if not the greatest miracle of the Old Testament. Now, there's many other miracles that we could look at, but we're going to focus on this one 
at the wonder of God, how He made a path in the sea. Now I want you to notice back in verse 1 and 2, God says to speak to the children of Israel that they turn. Notice that language. It's not there for no reason. So if you know anything about the path of the children of Israel, as they came out of Egypt and they went eastward, they would have had to have gone east and north to go from Egypt to get to the promised land. And here, as they travel eastward, they've got a fairly clear path. It would be through the desert. Of course, we know God is a God of miracles and He can feed them in the desert, and He does. But as they travel along on an eastward route, the Lord says, tell them to turn. And they turn southward. They go south. Instead of going north, which would be the route of flesh and blood, God sends them on a different journey. And that is the experience of the child of God, whether you realize it or not, or whether you've been walking that journey long enough or not to realize it. God doesn't send you the way of flesh and blood. God doesn't send you the way of the world. He doesn't send you the way that even sometimes your natural mind would think, that's the way I ought to go. It's a miracle in and of itself that God's children follow Him because they often are called upon to take the path that is not the path of least resistance. You see, Israel had the path of least resistance laid before them, and God said, tell them to turn and go south. And notice where He tells them to go. He says, turn and encamp before Pi-Hayroth. Now that word Pi-Hayroth, its interpretation is the mouth of gorges, or a gaping mouth. The first part of that word, Pi, means mouth, and the second part of that word, Kairoth, means an opening. And it literally means a valley that opens like a mouth into something. And we understand geographically, it's the mouth that opens into the Red Sea, to the beach or to the area where the Red Sea was. So I want you to get in your mind that when they turned south, they were not in open land anymore. They were traveling in a, like a gorge between two mountain ranges. And he said, tell them to go and encamp at the end of that gorge, Pi-Hayroth, the mouth of the gorges. It also can mean the mouth of two high rocks or the mouth of two mountain ranges. So if you can get in your mind, if you've ever been in the mountains, if you think about a mountain pass, as they traveled along, there are mountains on both sides. I don't know if any of you ever watch any of the old cowboy movies, but I was, am and was a real fan of the old cowboy movies. And they'd have this ominous music begin to play when the caravan, the good guys, you know, would go into the valley and they'd show you a picture of the mountains on one side and a, the crevices and mountains on the other side and they start playing this ominous music. You know, there's an ambush coming. This is a place that you don't want to be if you're worried about an ambush because you're basically on a, like a dead-end street is what it would be because it dead-ends into the Red Sea. He says, go and camp there. Now, this goes against human nature. It goes against flesh and blood. And he says, Can't encamp at this place, this mouth of the gorges where it empties out, where the valley empties out into the Red Sea between Migdal and the sea over against Baal Zephon. So on one side, there was a place called Migdal. Migdal just means a tower. And it was most likely a watchtower of the Egyptians, an outpost where the Egyptian nation, that empire, had an outpost of soldiers. So they watched the sea, they watched the valley. And on the other side, according to the geography, was another tower that contained a temple. It was the tower of Baal Zephon. 
And it is believed that this tower, this temple of Baal Zephon, you know, Baal was the name for gods, false gods in the Old Testament. But Zephon is probably where we get the word Typhon, the destroyer, which was a false god, the god of the sea. And it's where we get our word typhoon from, if that makes more sense to you. But it's believed that at Baal Zephon, there was a temple to this god Typhon or Typhoon. And it was a watchtower temple. I call it a witch tower because it was false god worship. And they would watch for runaway servants or runaway slaves trying to escape from Egypt. You know, what a contempt that the Lord threw upon Egypt once again as if He had not already thrown enough contempt on all of their gods to begin with. But here is this last little puny god. They probably set up a statue to Typhon or Zephon and those statues did not have smiles on their face. They had grimaces and frowns. And can you imagine if you were a single slave who maybe escaped and was trying to get to the Red Sea and catch a boat or something to get away forever? It was the last little outpost. And there's Baal Zephon, the destroyer, the god of the sea, frowning at you. You better go back. There's a reason why God sent them to this place. It sounds pretty bad towards the Israelites though, doesn't it? <laughs> It sounds like the Lord is really putting them into a bad situation. But our God is a God of miracles. You see, He's a God of power. God sends them out right in front of the slave watchtower that was intended to turn them around and make them go back. Now, sandwiched in between the Migdal, the tower that contained a century uh, an outpost of Egyptian soldiers. I mean, how do you think Pharaoh knew they were here, right? So in between, in the valley, on the shores of the Red Sea, on one side you've got the Migdal, the tower, the Egyptian soldiers reporting back to Egypt. And on the other side you've got the witch tower of the slave snatcher, Typhon, or Typhoon. In front of you you've got the Red Sea. Like I love what Brother Luke said this morning. Uh, I probably would have been one of those that would try to go out and lay in the water and backpedal for a while, as long as I could. Maybe dog paddle for a while. Till they, maybe they'd go away. But the Egyptian army is not going away by choice. So there's no place to go. Just think if you got there and you looked and you see this, good gracious, they're reporting back to Egypt where, where we are. And over here you got this scowling, slave-snatching God. And then in front of you, you got the Red Sea with no place to go down to the left or down to the right because you're between two, a you're between two mountain ranges in a gorge. You say, well, let's just go back. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you hear the sound of chariots. There's no way to go back. There's no way out. You see? So why were they here? This is a foolish place to be by human judgment. I want, to, I want you to know, just make sure that we don't lose sight of this. What you're doing here this morning is a foolish place to be by human judgment. It's a foolish place to be. What, what is the point of coming in here, one or two speakers, preach about the Word of God, and then sing songs and hymns and all of this type? It just seems, it's just not the way of the world. But it's the way of God. Because God is a God of power and He's a God of miracles. It's a miracle that you're here today. So this was a foolish place to be by human judgment. And notice that it says, that God says... When I send you this way, 
when I send you down here between the tower of the Egyptians and the tower of Typhon, and you got the Red Sea in front of you, Pharaoh will hear that you're entangled in the wilderness. God intended for Pharaoh to hear about this. That's another great lesson for us whenever we follow the Lord. You know, the devil, the wicked of the world, is always going to hear about what you're doing when you stand up for serving God. You know, I, I believe for many, many years in, in this area out here that truth in many ways was asleep. It was just kind of a sleeping giant. And you look at the revival that we have seen. Well, I tell you what, I believe the Satan heard about that. And the next thing you know, as our dear old uh, elder deacon there tells us, that he, the devil comes at you sideways, right, Brother Furman? <laughs> he comes at you sideways. He's not going to come at you one-on-one because he's going to come at you sideways. And that's what he does. How many times does he attack? You're on the right track and you're doing the right thing. And the next thing you know, you've got somebody, something, attacking you. <laughs> It's no different than the children of Israel. They were led out and God said, go down here where I want you to be. And from a natural standpoint, it doesn't look like the place you ought to be, but it's where I want you to be. And Pharaoh's going to hear about it. God didn't send a message to Pharaoh. You understand that? The way that Pharaoh's heart was hardened was not God reaching in there and tweaking Pharaoh's heart. You understand? If you know anything about metallurgy, if you, a lot of that's on, some of that's on TV now, you know, where they're making these knives and all these kind of different and swords and different axes and things. You can see some of that stuff and you can also do a little research. But whenever you take iron and you begin, they begin to heat it up and make iron, what they do is they heat it up and they cool it off. They heat it up and they cool it off. And the more they heat it up and the more they cool it off, then the harder it gets. <laughs> you see that? That's what God was doing with Pharaoh. He'd heat him up with, a, with one of those plagues. And then he'd take the plague away, Pharaoh would cool back down. He'd heat up and he'd cool down. He'd heat up and he'd cool down. That's how God was making Pharaoh's heart harder and harder. The circumstances of good that God was putting in front of Pharaoh was heating him up and then cooling him down. Do y'all see that? So don't think that God was reaching in there tweaking some kind of switch in Pharaoh. No, just like metal, the hard heart of Pharaoh was just being heated up and cooled down. And the more he did that, the harder the heart of Pharaoh was. And now Pharaoh's heart is hardened again. He gets a message, no doubt, from the tower there, from the sentries that were placed there watching over the sea and over the bay and over the valley of the gorges. And Pharaoh says, let's go. Why did we let him go in the first place? God says he will come. You see that? And notice what God says. Verse 3, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And so here comes Pharaoh. You see, the route that God sent them on was an unnatural route. You know, if we could rise above all of these worldly things around us and, and just see and behold the, the plan and the mind of God. How astonishing it would be. Now look, we're not talking about a situation like Samson, okay? We're not talking about a situation like Samson where he made wrong decision after wrong decision after wrong decision and wound up in dire straits. You see, his Red Sea experience was a little different than what's going on right here. Y'all understand that? These people are following God. They are under the direction of the man of God, Moses, and God is telling Moses where to tell them to go. 
So look, we don't want to discount that situation now because Red Seas can come upon us in many different ways. And by the way, God made a path in that Red Sea that was before Samson. You see, it was a different path though. You say, what was it? I thought he died. He did, and he was delivered to heaven. That was his deliverance. You see, God wins in the end no matter what. The Lord has the last say over any situation. The devil wanted the last say. He wanted to murder and destroy all of mankind. But the Lord, in His covenant before the world was formed, already had His purpose in place. You see, so God gets the last say. No matter how a person leaves this world, in the situation we've got here before us, God is telling these people, go down here and camp. You see? One quote that I looked at and I liked was, sometimes God brings us into straits that He may bring us to our knees. Where else could they look at this point? You see, this was a final blow to the puny gods of Egypt. Just very quickly, I'll just run over these. When God turned the water into the blood... He was defaming or making fun of the river god, the Nile river god called Hopi. Hopi was supposed to overflow the banks of the Nile river, feed the crops every year. When he turned the water into blood, he was making fun of Hopi. When he sent the frogs, he was making fun of Heket, the frog god. It was the frog god of fertility. He just sent... He said, okay, I'll send you millions, billions of frogs, and I'll show you about fertility. When God sent the lice from the earth's dust, He was attacking, making fun of Geb, the god of the earth, the Egyptian god of the earth. When He sent swarms of flies, He was making fun of Kepri, which would be called the lord of the flies or insects. When He sent the death of the cattle and the livestock, He was making fun or confronting their concept of Hathor, which was the maternal god who was often depicted as a cow. Whenever he turned their, the ashes into boils and sores on their body, he was attacking Isis, the goddess of healing. Whenever he sent hell in the form of fire, he was attacking Newt, the goddess of the sky. And when he sent locusts from the sky to devour the crops, he was attacking Osiris, the god of, the crops, of, of crops and fertility. When he sent three days of complete darkness, I bet you can guess this one because I mentioned this false god a few weeks ago. He was attacking Ra, the sun god. He said, I'll show you. You worship Ra, I'll block out the sun. And when he sent the death of the firstborn, he was attacking the son of Pharaoh who was believed to be a god. You hear me? And as if all that wasn't enough, He's made a mockery of the gods of Egypt. And let me say this to you, child of grace. God will make a mockery out of your gods too. You say, I don't have any of those gods. Yes, you do. <laughs> and so do I. God will make a mockery out of your gods. Your gods of this world, whatever they may be, fill in the blank because you've got them and I've got them. What you worship in this world, what you hold as, as dear to you that you feel like you cannot let go, Maybe it's one of these right here. I, I don't think that's a maybe for most of our culture. Can't live without this. This thing right here is not going to hold you when you're dying. Do you hear me? The gods that you hold dear are not going to whisper sweet peace to you. They're going to betray you and leave you with gravel in your mouth that breaks your teeth. 
I know whereof I speak because I've been there. (laughs) I don't want to go there again, but I'm such a sinner. I'm liable to. We all are. We hold on to things in this world and we think they're the most important things to us. But God has a way of tearing our idols, our gods, away from us. And as if it wasn't enough to embarrass all of the gods of Egypt, there's one more here that he's going to embarrass, and it is Typhon or Typhoon, the god of the sea. You know what's coming, right? They're going to be drowned in the sea. When the Egyptians pass through the sea, they're going to be drowned. You see, it's not just willy-nilly, oh, well, I think I'll send them down south. No, the Lord has them parked and perched exactly where He wants them so that He can get His honor and declare His judgment on Pharaoh, on Egypt, and the gods of Egypt. Isn't it wonderful to know that no matter what you get into in this life, no matter what you face, God's going to have the final say on your gods, on my gods, on the gods of this earth. He's going to have the final say and, and carry out final judgment on all of that. I tell you, that ought to weigh down on us and let us feel that whenever we're in dire straits like they were here. Because guess what? Until this world is gone, Satan's going to keep coming. He's going to keep coming. You know, think about it. You're one of those Israelites and you finally got out. You're not a slave anymore. Let's just think maybe like Joshua and Caleb were thinking, okay? We know there was at least two there that were thinking the right way. They're not mentioned yet, but we know eventually. Maybe this is what put them over the edge of being true disciples, you know? But everybody else is in the mully grubs and they're bad-mouthing Moses and bad-mouthing God. But you can imagine what was maybe going through the mind of a disciple like Joshua or Caleb or Moses. You know, we finally got away and we're headed where God wants us to be and they're coming again after us? Are you kidding me? Is that not the way that... that Evil works. It just never stops. It never stops. You know, I thank God. I thank God that we live in a country where every four years, you know, there's a change of administration. You better think, you say people complain. People are going to complain about, they'll find anything to complain about. But you need to count your blessings that you don't live in a place like Israel who at one point had a king on the throne, a bad king for 52 or 55 years. That's an entire lifetime. You say, well, our, our government is so messed up. And you are right. It is messed up. But it's not as messed up as it could be. <laughs> because we, you could live in a dictatorship where for 55 years you would know no difference. See, praise God that we live in a place where there are changes like that from time to time. And the hope of change from time to time, you see. These guys had been living for 400 years in Egyptian bondage, and they're finally free. 400 years! Many of their ancestors died in Egyptian bondage, and here they are, finally, we're free! We don't have to worry about uh, building temples anymore. Building the Maybe they even built the temple to the Baal Zephon. Who knows? But they built the pyramids, and they built all these different temples and idols. We're free from that! And you say, what? Here they come again. Satan will pursue you as long as you're in this world. What's the song say? Long pursued by sin and Satan. (laughs) I get weary. Satan will pursue you. He will come after you. Old enemies will march. On the march of the soul to freedom for the child of God, which we're on, we're all on that march, whether you realize it or not. As we march to freedom, ultimate freedom, to the ultimate home that we have before us, Satan is going to continue to come and berate you and attack you. Not only that, but maybe even... (laughs) 
Obviously, temptation and even your own wicked desires within your own heart will continue to pursue you. I believe as Brother Chris said a few years ago, that you know it's only the three or four things that really vex you throughout your life. And you can identify, you know, Lord help us if it's 10 or 12 things or 10 or 15 things. Lord help us. <laughs> but if it, it's usually only three or four things, three or four top temptations that come at you. I mean, I could name things, well, you know, this right here, whatever this is, it just doesn't tempt me, or this doesn't tempt me. Maybe it tempts you. You know, we all have our vices that tempt us, right? Those things are going to stay with you until you breathe your last breath. You see? You're going to be pursued by those things. You ever heard the old saying, between a rock and a hard place? <laughs> That's where we find the children of Israel. And whether you realize it or not, child of grace, you in this world are constantly between a rock and a hard place. You don't belong here. Your citizenship is not here. You have citizenship in a place far away. And very often we find ourselves surrounded. It feels like we're surrounded, doesn't it? It didn't just feel like they were surrounded. They were surrounded. If they wanted to go back, they couldn't go back. I think of the song, How strange is the course that a Christian must steer. How perplexed is the path he must trod. This was a strange path. The Lord sent them down to a place where, it, from all practical purposes, it looks like it's completely to their ruin. See? You know, Romans, the fifth chapter, talks about how we glory in tribulations. That doesn't mean you say, oh, yippee, I'm fixing to hurt. I'm fixing to have more troubles or drama. That's not what that's teaching. He says we glory in tribulation because tribulation works experience and experience works hope. You see, to build on the experiences of life and to grow in those experiences. If you've been through trials and you've been through troubles in the past, then you have a testimony to face the next trial. And if you're like me, when one gets over, you're like, oh, praise God, now I'll never have to go through another one, I pray. But it's not going to happen that way. You're going to be pursued by sin and Satan until you leave this world. Amen. And the question is, how are we responding? You see what the children of Israel did. They, they said to Moses, why would you bring us here? Don't we do that often in those situations of life? We say, Lord, why would you put me here? A lot of times it's because of what we did, right? We get in those situations. That's a different situation where we say, Lord, I put myself here. Lord, help me. That's the Samson situation, you see. But when you're serving God and you're walking in the light and you're trying to do the right thing, Satan's coming. Rest assured, he may already be there. But look what happens. To all of our senses, to their senses, it seemed completely dark. But to those that are walking by faith, there's light. Notice it says that as Pharaoh drew near, that the Lord sent the, the, the pillar of fire went to the back of the column, back of the, gore, the uh, valley of the gorges, and began to put them in darkness where they could not see. Uh, it says they did that all night. It's kind, of, uh, it's kind of humorous because you think about Pharaoh and his armies. They're just going in circles all night. Have you ever done that in the dark? Uh, Brother Asher and I went down to the Beaver Dam the other night, and Sister Abigail too, in the dark. And I knew exactly where we parked, and I knew exactly where we were. And I even had a flashlight. I even had my little phone light. And, I was, and by the time we got down to the fence, I had no idea where I was. I mean, I recognized that tree, that limb, this, whatever. And I was like, I said, I said where are we? And for, for a few minutes, I was just totally confused, standing there in the mud. Like, and then it's over here. Well, I thought it was over here. You, you ever been confused in the darkness? I tell you, that is the world, confused in the darkness. 
Sometimes that's a judgment from God. You understand that? That people don't know what to do because they're living in confusion. Sometimes that is a judgment when God just withdraws His wisdom, you see? And there is Pharaoh and his armies just going round and round. Where are they? We're going to kill them. We're riding through the night. They've got their torches and driving their horses and they can't find them because they're just going around in circles. That's a miraculous way that God deals with His people. And over here on the other side, they've got light. They can see. The world was in darkness. You see, there, there's miracles today. God's still in the business of miracles. It says that Moses stretched out his hand over the Red Sea and God literally congealed the Red Sea. You ever, you know, ever heard of a congealed salad? You know, it's kind of bubbly, kind of jello. You kind of, you know, you touch it, it sort of wiggles. God sent a wind and blew that. By the way, get the picture. Out of the mouth of the gorges, God sent a wind that blew across the Red Sea and blew the waters back. And it's, it literally, the definition means they were congealed. And the people of God walked through on dry land. And of course, as they go through and get to the other side, here comes Pharaoh. You talk about determination. The wicked are determined. You would think that if you were in your right mind, even if you were a wicked person and you looked and you saw, well, that's interesting. It's not for you. It's for the children of Israel, you see. And they plunge off down into where God has just parted the waters thinking still in their mad race to destroy that which is precious to God. Satan is relentless and he will keep coming and keep coming and they just keep coming. And when they get right where God wants them, you see, this is a trap that God has laid for them. The people of Israel were sitting there going, oh my goodness, the Tower of Migdal, they're reporting back to Egypt. Oh my goodness, the, the slave snatcher over here, the witch tower of the slave snatcher of the Red Sea in front of us. Oh, we're between, we're going to get ambushed and they're coming after us. And the whole while, God's up there going, I got them right where I want them. <laughs> you see? They cross over to the other side and they come down into the Red Sea and boom, he's got them. He drowns them. They're gone forever. Never to vex them again. You know why? Because God is a God of miracles. It says in the book of Revelation that they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. You see, the Lord led them to a place where they would have a deeper, richer experience with Him. And that's what they had. In this strange place, God made a path through the sea. The least likely way for them to be delivered. It wasn't by boats. It wasn't by helicopter. It wasn't by airplanes swooping in. It wasn't by the Navy SEALs. It wasn't by them turning and all of a sudden becoming like Navy SEALs and being able to fight miraculously. No, God who is the God of miracles made a path in the sea. And whatever you're struggling with today, whatever you're dealing with, I'm telling you, Wait on the Lord. What did Moses tell them? Some of them wanted to jump in the water, probably, Brother Luke, like you and me would have done and floated out there. Some of them might have wanted to climb the mountain. Some of them might have wanted to just said, I surrender. Take me. I'm going back to Egypt with you. But Moses said, stand still. There comes a point sometimes when you've done everything you can do. You follow the Lord. You've discharged your duty to God. And you just have to stand still. You just have to leave it in the hands of God. He is well capable to make a path in the sea. And you know what that path did, right? In the New Testament, it says they were baptized in the sea. Y'all hear me? It was a baptism when they went through the sea. And today, it's a miracle when a little child of grace says, I feel touched by the Spirit of God. I feel the Lord in my heart. 
I want to be baptized and follow the Lord. It's, a, it's somewhat of a, of a smaller picture of the Lord parting the sea. You see that? And if there's one or more here today that would like to do that, we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing number 159.